Good morning, guys. My name is Sean. I'm a pastoral resident here. Uh, Sean Myers. Yeah. Did I just get a woo? Or is that just me hearing things? Okay. I hear that a lot every time I'm walking down the road. Uh, woo, thank you. Um, no. Hey, uh, so listen, I- I'm going to be sharing with us this morning, but before I do, uh, I got a quick announcement for you. Next week is going to be a little bit different in that we're going to have a guest speaker. Um, one of Frank's old-time friends is going to be coming in and sharing with us. And to be honest with you, we as a staff were just excited to hear that Frank had friends. So we were like, no, he doesn't bring him. Let's see him, Frank. So that's probably the most part why he's coming. No, he should be a good guy. Um, so if you, you know, you got maybe friends out there who normally wouldn't come when the guy is, is up there talking, but a guest speaker next week would be a good time. Frank's really excited about him. Uh, come in here. So that, that's my only announcement for you. Um, last time I did announcements, I was up here. I really messed it up. So they just gave me one to do that. So there's the announcement for you. But we got a lot to do. So if you guys can open up to Acts chapter 2, apps, Bibles, whatever you need to do. And before we get there, um, let me give us a kind of hit the ground running because we got a lot to cover before we even uh, begin to read that passage. Okay. Um, as you can see, obviously on the screen this morning, what we're going to talk about um, is community. Now, I say that because we're coming out of a four-week series on Advent. Before that, we'd been spending a lot of time in Romans, and now we're going to move forward into this, and then we have a guest speaker the following week, and then um, our anniversary service on the 12th, and then we get, pick it back up into Romans. So right now, this is kind of just an odd situation where there was a Sunday, a standalone message, and Frank said, hey, you know, why don't we move in this direction? And so I'm going to talk about um, this, what we're doing here, church, okay? And so it's not going to be as bouncy as I normally am. Well, maybe, I don't know. Um, but we're, we're going to be very pragmatic, which is a fancy way of just saying very practical. Um, I know this is a time of year where, where everyone's, the buzzword is like New Year's resolutions, and get, I get it. Like, I want some Josh Prather abs come summertime. But right now, um, right now, uh, I'm going to focus on and talking about this one idea of church and not to add something to your plate or take something away with the New Year's resolution, but just talk about what we do and how to do it better. Okay, so um, we're going to read that, and, and I want to kind of come out the gate and make this statement so you know where I'm coming from. Everything we're going to talk about this morning has a foundational piece um, that, that gives us the thrust of, of community, gives us the thrust of teaching and Sundays, all this, um, and, and it's this, it's this one idea. What I'm going to talk about, about this morning is motivated by one simple fact. We at Redemption Arcadia absolutely wholeheartedly believe that Jesus is the best thing for you, okay? Now, now some of you try to find your joy and your placement and identity in your jobs or in relationships, but I'm here to tell you, and maybe you are expecting this because you're in church, but Jesus is the best thing for you. If, if, if your life would revolve around his glory, all things that you are seeking for and all these frivolous ideas would be found. That Jesus is the best thing for you. Now, that's, a, that's an easy thing for you to kind of grasp around, but, but here's what the direction we're going to go based on that fact. Based on the fact that we believe Jesus is wholeheartedly the best thing for you, here's what I need you to know. We also believe that the church is the best way for you to draw near to Jesus Christ. Now, that wasn't as, an easy, as easy, right? So like first service, there was a lady over there. She kept yelling amen. She obviously don't know she's at Arcadia. We don't, we don't say anything during service. David Maddox occasionally giving me some love, but that's it, okay? So she, but then I said that one, and she's like, okay? Because, because to be honest with you, I think we can resonate with this guy, Jesus. I love Jesus. I love who he is, but the church thing I'm struggling with. 
And so I know for us to get to a place for, for you to really understand, or even before we open the book of Acts, for me to make a statement like Jesus is the best thing for you to draw near to Jesus Christ, there's some obstacles we got to get through. And that's the truth. There are some clear-cut obstacles that we have to navigate through for you to really be able to understand that. So, so that's what I want to do. I, I want to start with some of these things. Before we can get to that the church is the best thing for you to draw near to Jesus, let me, let me make this first statement, and this is important, and it's overstated constantly, but um, I think it's worth stating again, and, and that's this. Um, this morning, when you woke up, hopefully you did not make the statement, we need to get to the church on time. You need to understand that this building is not special, that the church is not a place Like you did not walk onto sacred ground as you crossed the threshold or parked your car. This A-frame building, I've been in the boiler rooms. There ain't nothing holy about this place. Okay, so so for us to to get out of this this thing that we just kind of naturally resonate with, we kind of push towards automatically, oh, there's the church. That's not the case. We can meet in a shopping mall, wherever. And I think this point is very important because some of us will make the statement like, if I can just get this guy that I work with to the church, if he could just hear the message, then I, then I, I think he, he would really enjoy it. I work with him Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. And our pushback is, hey, bro, the church is with him. Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. It's not a place. It is a people. Like, even within the language of the text in the New Testament, it's, it's an, a possibility for us ever to describe uh, the church as, a, as a, of a noun form place. It is always people. So there's the first obstacle. Maybe for some of you it's like, duh, but I would challenge you to wrestle with that in your heart for a little bit. Here's the second obstacle we got to get through before we get to our text this morning. Some of you, when I make the statement that the church is the best way for you to draw near to Jesus Christ, um, you're coming in here this morning and, and you say, <laughs> listen, I, I, I've seen the church. Like, I've dated, for the church, dated the church for a little bit, and I just decided to be single. You know what I'm saying? And now I'm asking you to marry her. And, and, and now here you, you come in with this baggage, and some of you um, just valid, just legitimate hurts and pains that the church has given you. Some of you come in here because the church has, has robbed you of emotional health. The church has robbed you of mental health. The church has robbed you of physical um, means, money, it has stolen from you. Some of you come in here and you've been uh, taken advantage of by the church. Some of you come in here and you've been raped by the church. Some of you come in here with hurts and deep pains that are unbelievably valid. And for me to make a statement that the church is the best way for you to draw near to Jesus Christ, your blood boils a little bit and you're mad at yourself for even walking into the room. And and here's here's what I want to say to that. Um, Our prayer is that you would not paint Jesus with that same brush. Our our, our prayer, even to go further than that, is that you wouldn't paint Redemption Arcadia with that brush. Listen, I read the Bible. I've read Romans 13, that God places all forms of governing authority into place, and that includes his church. And why God would allow this man to come in and do what he has done, I don't know. I I don't have an answer for that. I know it's real, and I know those pains are, are very valid, but I don't have an answer to that. My hope and prayer is that you would know that just because there's fake money out there doesn't mean real money doesn't exist. That, that we want to be real and genuine and love Jesus and push you towards Jesus Christ. And we hope again that you wouldn't paint us with that, paint us with that same brush. At the same time, though, <laughs> there are some of you guys who are coming in here where you're, you're, uh, your pushback against the, the church isn't as valid. 
Like some of you guys get upset because like you couldn't be a part of a ministry at your old church or they wouldn't listen to you or, or maybe Redemption Arcadia doesn't do this or doesn't do that. Like you weren't said hi to on, on the way in. No one greeted you. And this is just an FYI. Like I don't know if you know this, but like Redemption Arcadia like, is, doesn't come off as like the friendliest place sometimes, all right? Like we're very stoic. We get excited as a staff when we clap on Sunday morning. Like did you hear them clapping? Like no, they didn't. Yeah. Like can I get an amen? No, because we don't say that here. You know what I mean? Like, there, there's just no, there's this stoic kind of standoffishness that, that Arcadia seems to, to put on people, that turns people off. And the truth is, as we kind of dive into Redemption Arcadia, at least this has been my wife and I's experience, the more you get to know the people of Redemption Arcadia, the more um, beauty you will see as you peel away the layers. Like, there's a genuine um, uh, people of God here that just, that just make you want to love him more. But, but I, 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 wanna, I wanted to bring that up because there are some valid concerns when I say that the church is the best way to draw near to Jesus Christ. And then there are some, val- some concerns that you need to be like, hey, get off your high, high horse. Because we would consider ourselves a covenant people, not a contractual people. And so when we say a covenant people, it doesn't matter what you give us. I, it doesn't matter if someone came up and said hi to me. I'm going to get up and introduce myself to someone else. For all you know, everyone else in this place is new, right? So, so for us to kind of say, like, no one's introduced, you ain't introducing yourself to anyone, bro. Okay, so like this is this idea of, of so, so some of them are, are very valid and some of them aren't as valid. I think we need to lay some of those things aside um, for the moment and just, just hear me out. And, and here's the last thing before we get to this church idea and, and diving in. Um, the idea of community is just not found in our 21st century American DNA. And I know this is said a lot, but, but you have to understand, what I'm doing right now, uh, talking about church and community, is not needed in 95% of the countries in the world. Like, I've had the opportunity to travel all over the world, and not one time when I was in Ghana did somebody get up and say, all right, you guys, we really need you to get into redemption communities, okay? We need you to get into communities because it's really important. That never happened. Never when I was in the Philippines did a pastor come up like, how do you get your people to do life together? The reason is because for the most part, for the most part in the world, people and cultures naturally come together. They naturally do life together. But we have to like constantly put this before you. Eugene's job, who runs Redemption Communities, is not needed in most of the world. But here, he has to work 40, 50 hours at the Arizona Republic and then devote an additional 30 or 40 hours just to try to get us all plugged into communities. Some congregations of redemption have two community pastors because there's so much organization that needs to happen. That is not the case across for the most part of the world. But here in America, you have to understand it's not in your DNA to naturally want to get together. And, and, and the reason this is important is because you have to understand at the very core of the God you serve um, is found relationship. Like before there was you and before there was me, before there was the world, before there were angels, before there was anything, there was this eternal perfect God Father, Son, Holy Spirit in perfect relationship. And in Acts 17, we're told this perfect God invites us into that relationship. And then he says something crazy in verse 22, that we, as the body of believers, would have the same relationship that they have. That's crazy, that we would be so connected like that. But our, our, our culture is pushing individualization. We get to design our own phones. We drive Jettas because we're unique. All these things over and over, we see community is not something that's put before us. And so if you can understand that the triune God at his core is relationship, r- relational and he's invited us into that, um, you begin to kind of question things. Like even First John. John goes out to say that if you run with his crew, you run with God. Like his community, when you got fellowship with him, you have fellowship with God. 
Like 25 of the 27 books written in the New Testament bring up the fact of us working together. Over 40% of the New Testament is completely devoted to how the household of God should work together. This is a big deal. We are created at our core to need each other. Read Romans 12, read 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, how gifts work together. And if you're coming on Sunday to pay your penance to get it done, you're missing something because the church is so much broader. It's so much deeper than that. Matter of fact, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a pastor um, during the time of World War II. He makes a, a great statement. He says this, it's very short. God desires Christians to be in community if they are to be fully human. So there's a part of community that, that helps complete who we are within the body of Christ. Like, this is so true. So um, how I know this is true is just practically, right? The, the other day, about a week and a half ago, I found myself in H&M. Word up, okay? Just take it easy. Um, okay? So, so I'm in H&M, and I don't even know, right? Candace is like, she's shopping. I'm like, where am I? I don't know what the difference between the girls' clothes are and the guys' clothes. Is this a guy? Okay. Um, so, 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 I'm, I, so I'm, I'm texting. I'm texting. Okay, I'm telling, you know, find, trying to find out what I... And I text, I text Eugene. I'm like, Eugene, what kind of pants do I need, bro? Okay? So he sends me a picture. I find these pants. I go in the dressing room, okay? And I put them on, and I take my first selfie, right? And I take this selfie, and I ain't sending it to my wife. I'm sending it to Eugene. She's like, hey, what are you doing in there? I'm like, nothing. Eugene, bro, what do I do? Okay? Uh, I, I'm taking this picture so he can look at these pants, and these aren't them because he's, he's not, he's like, sanctification, bro, just a process, right? So, so there, I noticed that my jeans are getting tighter and tighter every, every single week. Sean Johnson's, you know, shaking his hips with his tight jeans. I got to do something about it, okay? So, so I, I know this. I'm seeing this, the, the, the whole H&M, and I know in this moment, Eugene has some swag that I need. Eugene gets things that I don't, and that's a funny, maybe not as practical example, but the truth is, is the body of Christ, we have to understand that we desperately need each other, Right? <laughs> So the last thing I'm going to say on this is this. Um, Kevin D. Young, he's an he's a author and a pastor. He has a really great book called A Hole in Our Holiness, and he makes a, a proclamation, basically the importance of the church and what it looks like. I want to read it um, to you because I think it's very important, and, and I think it will, will uh, stick with in the direction we want to go. This is what it says. In more than a decade of pastoring and pastoral ministry, I've never met a Christian who is healthier, more mature, and more active in ministry by being a part of the church, being apart from the church. But I have found the opposite to be true. The weakest Christians are those least connected to the body, and less involved you are, the more disconnected the following that you have will be. The man who attempts Christianity without the church shoots himself in the foot, he shoots his children in the leg, and he shoots his grandchildren in the heart. That, that he would go on to say that without the church, there is no Christianity. Like, like, the body will find a way to gather together. God has shown this through his people over and over in different countries of persecution, of prosperity, time and time again. And for us to think that Sunday morning is where it's at is just not the case. So here's what we're going to do. Like I said, a little more practical. We're going to read that passage in Acts, and we're going to just pull some things out from it. And I'm not going to spend a terrible amount of time on it because we're going to read it. And then we're going we're to talk about what here at Redemption Arcadia we do and how we try to find our identity and some of the things that this community is marked by. Okay? So in, in Acts chapter 2, we're going to read it. We're going to just see this community. And in, in, let me give you some background, uh, maybe hopefully, hopefully uh, focus the lens a little bit so some of this makes sense. Um, very early, this is not just like the church like a church setting. This is like when the church began. So Jesus ascends into heaven. 
As he ascends into heaven, he gives his apostles the teaching, right? So we're reading the word of God in this moment. And as this is taking place, the Holy Spirit falls, okay? Falls on this people. People are looking on the outside saying, I hear them speaking this language or they're speaking in tongues, which we don't have time for right now, but they're speaking in tongues. And Peter gives this message, this gospel just hardcore message. And as he gives this word, the people who are standing out there are listening to this and they're like, holy cow. Okay, and, and the, the, the word of God says that they, they were cut at the heart and they say, what should we do? Like, like, what should we do? Everything you're telling us, Peter, tell us what to do. And Peter simply says, repent and be baptized. And then the Bible tells us that, that all these people were added to the church that day. And so the very first words that we read, and they is those people, the church, the very first workings of the church. This is what it says, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. So very quickly, the what. Here's the, the very what. What this church did very early. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We have a word for this today. It's called the Bible. They devoted themselves for the, to the Bible, to each other, the breaking of bread and prayers. Now the, the question is, why would they do this? Why are they devoting themselves to these things? Verse 43. And awe came over every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So this community is marked by the word of God. They devote themselves to it, to each other, the the eating with each other, the breaking of bread, communion, and then prayer. They're marked by these things because God is moving. He is is doing something. Awe is falling on these people. Fear is falling on these people because God is moving. And we want to be a community that's not just marked by the word of God, not just marked by prayer and fellowship and communion, but we also want to be a community that's marked by God doing something. We have something here in Redemption. It's called God stories. It's not a fancy way to say anything. It's just called God stories. What has God been doing? How is he moving in our community? Okay? Verse 43 is is, um, pretty easy to understand. Verse 44 and 45. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, lest we think that that Christianity should be this commune, let me explain what's kind of taking place here. Um, As the Christians are coming together, they're they're having their possessions, and they're beginning to give them to the church, right? Okay, well, if you go two chapters forward, you don't have to go there. I'll just read it very quickly. In verse 32 of chapter 4 in Acts, this is what it says, describing what's going on. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. So so I'm going to read this. This is very important. Listen to what I'm going to say. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. So it's very important you understand whose, whose things are they? Who, they belong to them, but there is a, there's a, a, a state of heart to say, though these things are mine, they're not my own. Though I have them, though they belong to me, they are not my own. So this community is unbelievably marked by generosity, that everything is in common, that we as believers would know that those of us who have much can give to those who do not. So next week is the M25 offering, right? We bring diapers and wipes, these things for, for mothers of the Somali families and the women and mothers who, who can't take care of the basic needs of their children. We as a community want to be marked by generosity, that though we have much, we give it away because the truth is, it's not yours. You may have got up all last week or you will get up tomorrow morning and work Monday through Friday, nine to five. And that money by all rights is yours. But who gave you that ability? Who gave you the ability to work at Doritos? Who gave you the ability to crunch numbers? Who gave you the ability to, to, to work in the web the way that you do? God did. 
And if you understand that, you would understand that the things that I have are not my own, and it doesn't end just with, with financial things. Listen, I have to understand as a parent, Corbin is my son, but he is not mine. He is wholeheartedly God's. I, I am but shepherding him in this moment as, as hopefully a faithful father, but he is not mine. I have things in common as a community, and, and sometimes I wish as a community um, we would spank each other's kids more, but that's probably a bad idea. <laughs> so this, this community is marked by generosity. Verse 46, and day by day, day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. So here's something else very quickly, because we'll come back to this. They not, they not only just met weekly, but they also met daily. So this community marked by the word of God, prayer, fellowship, the breaking of bread, generosity, God is moving, but not only are they meeting weekly in the temple, but they're meeting daily. Later on in the next chapter, in chapter uh, 3 and then in 4, it talks about how they met home-to-home daily. So we're asking ourselves at Redemption Arcadia, how can we do these things? Let's go on. Last verse. Verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So the last thing that marks this community is that they are in their jobs, they are working in the community, and they have favor with the people they are working with, and they are marked as a people of mission. That you go, and we try to stress this at the end of our services now, every week, your job is important. Your job matters. What you do there matters. If nothing else, you are devoting yourself to God before man. Do you understand? Not to man, not for man, but to God before man. That they would see your good works and glorify God. So there are people on mission. So there it is, right? We get to see this very early community, and we have to ask the question as a church, well, how do we do this? How do we devote ourselves to the Bible? How do we devote ourselves to prayer, to communion? How do we devote ourselves to the fact that we're seeing God move and, and praising him for it? How do we devote ourselves to meeting weekly and daily? That's tough. How do we devote ourselves to, to filling the boxes, not because we have to in the back, but because we're generous givers. We give away what we have because it's not our own. So the elders had to meet, right? And this is where the practicality of it all comes together. The, the elders come together and they meet. And the question is, well, how do we do this? How do we shape our people in this direction? Um, and the elders decided to keep things very simple and say, we're just going to do three avenues. Okay, and so if you, if you haven't honed in yet, I need you to focus with me because I need you to know with this New Year's resolution coming, um, I, I want you to understand what we do here, and, and I want you to buy into to doing it well. So moving into 2014, I want you. To, this is what we're doing at Redemption Church. It is very simple. There are three things. There's not a lot to get lost in. Here's the first one. This, the very first thing that we believe is so vitally important is getting together on Sunday morning. I want to read something to you. Um, if you know the Apostle uh, John, which uh, I, I quoted a little bit ago in, in 1722, uh, in John 1722, um, he discipled a guy named Polycarp, right? Okay, so, which, right, like you know who he is. There's this guy named Polycarp, okay, um, who was a disciple of John, and, and Polycarp had a disciple named Justin Martyr. Now, none of that's really important outside of the fact that Justin Martyr had a bunch of writings on the church. And the reason that's important is because it's only one generation through discipleship removed from how early he saw the church moving. And so he's writing his first apology to the emperor because the emperor's like, what is going on inside that church? And so Justin Martyr writes what he's doing as a pastor, what he's doing and what the church is doing inside the church. This is what he says. And I'll explain why I'm reading it in a second. 
On the day called Sunday, all who live in cities and in the countries gathered together in one place. And the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. Then when the reader has ceased, the president verbally instructs and exhorts all these good things to us. So, so he says, first, when we come together, there, there's the reading. We're coming together from on this week. There's the reading of God's word, and someone comes up and instructs them of, of, uh, of these things, of what was just read. Then we all rise together and pray, as we have before said, when our prayer is ended, bread and wine and water are brought, and the president, in like manner, offers prayers and thanksgiving according to his ability. And each gives thanks. And what is collected is deposited with the president and give to the orphans and widows and those who are in need through sickness or any other cause of want. So he says, after the president reads um, and instructs, after someone reads and, and then there's an instruction, then we all take communion together. And after there's communion, we have an offering, okay? And after there's this offering, the president, the pastor, takes his money and gives it to those who are in need. Now, I, I don't share this because, yes, obviously there's a lot of forming that, that, that little tiny paragraph in the midst of hundreds of thousands of things that shape the way that we do Sunday mornings. I only, I only read it to you so you can understand. Justin Martyr was able to, from memory, say, well, here's what we do, which leads us to believe that they do something so consistently that, that they can look and say, well, here is what we do at this time. Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians, it puts a little more flesh on it, telling us how hymns work, how prophecies work during that time. All these things are taking place, and we get to see there is something regularly happening. Now, that's important because you come here every Sunday, and you notice something. What we do is ridiculously repetitive. We do something, and, and here's the word, it's called a liturgy. And, and it's doing something and it's shaping because some of us come from a church that we ask the questions, well, what song would be good where? How would this go here? And what song is good that will get us going to this, that will lead to that? And those questions are never asked about Sunday morning. The question that is constantly asked is, how are we being shaped on Sunday? So um, I kind of get to play Rain Man for a second, like get to tell you a bunch of numbers. And you're like, how did he come up with that? Because um, we get to, to hear something that, that maybe you don't know because you come here on Sunday and you didn't even know that you were hearing the gospel message. That every single Sunday there is a rhythm and you can hear, you can hear the people say, now we're going to move into a time of blank. Now we're going to move into a time of blank. And at first, when I first came to redemption, I was like, why does this dude keep telling me where we're going to move into? Let's just sing the songs. But then I realized as we're forming through this thing called liturgy, we're hearing the gospel. Matter of fact, Sean Johnson puts this up every Sunday. I stole it from the back. <laughs> He's probably looking for it. Um, so so I, th- he puts this up every, every single Sunday. And this is what we go through every single Sunday. And the things, the headlines, which obviously you can't see, don't change. So when we come in here, the first thing we do is have a call to worship with adoration. So we come in here, as we're gathering together, we stand together, and we begin to sing, God, you are so good. You are so good. And because of your goodness, we recognize something that we are not, which leads us to believe and move into a time of confession. That in that moment, we see the goodness of God, and we confess that we are not God, though we try to be constantly. Which leads us into something even better. There's an assurance of grace in that, because we're reminded that the cross covers those sins right? So here, can you hear the gospel? Can you hear that? Okay, so, so now we're, we're covered in that, and then we're so unbelievably thankful because of it. What's even, like, what's even better than that is you don't even know, for some of us, we don't even know that through the course of this, we're hearing the story of the Bible. Every single Sunday, we're telling the story of the Bible. Genesis 1 and 2, God is so good. 
How good is God? He made everything. And you know something? He made man who failed. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And, and in that failure, we, we begin to recognize and we confess our sins. So we have Genesis moving to the, confe- to, the, to the fall. And after the fall, we begin to confess our sins because we look to the cross in that moment and we realize that we've been forgiven our sins causes us to be thankful. You're hearing the story of the Bible every single Sunday. And it's shaping, it's forming, and it's, in, it's historically intentional. If you have questions as to what that looks like and why that would be if this was a stool, a leg, at Redemption Arcadia, I would challenge you to talk to Sean Johnson. Because the dude has thought well through it. I can't tell you how many books he probably has referred to me when I ask him a question. I'm like, okay, that's enough. Because there's tons of them. So, so, so you can understand that Sunday is unbelievably shaping and it's, it's vitally important. Here's the second thing, the second avenue that you need to understand. At Redemption Arcadia, we keep it simple. Um, we have something called Wednesday night classes. You'll never guess what night they're on, okay? So they're just very simple. It's not this fancy foundations discipleship. We keep it very simple. We're, we're going to go through books of the Bible, maybe Malachi, Genesis 1 and 2. We're going to go through Jonah. We're going to go through church history. So there's this theology uh, a type of it. Some of it is like... Um, very practical. Like if you were here at the Christmas Eve service, you know we have maybe 400 church members under the age of two at Redemption Arcadia. And so they're all sitting in the back at Christmas Eve, like talking to each other. Like, you know, no one knows what you're saying right now, right, bro? Okay. So they're, they're yeah. And so we saw that there was a lot of young families, including the Myers family. So we said, let's do a parenting class. So we have people who've kind of been there, done that, kind of been through the washer, have older kids, maybe teenagers, whatever it is, and saying, this is what we've seen. This is what we've done. So Wednesday night provides something that maybe we don't have in those other two legs, and that is this idea of theological training, which some of it is, like I said, Bible. Some of it is we want you to know who's knocking on your door, if you know what I'm saying, okay? We want you to be wise when when those people come up and knock on your door. Some of it is we want want you to be wise when it comes to parenting. We want you to be biblically literate. These are all important things that maybe we can't touch on uh, on Sunday mornings. uh, With Wednesday night classes, we're able to do it. And then the last thing with the other leg we can't touch on all the time is redemption communities. And this is where I'm going to spend the bulk of our time this morning, what time is left, maybe 15 minutes, um, and, and, and really talk about why we do how we do uh, redemption communities, because it's unbelievably important that, that, that we get it, right? So let me, uh, let me uh, start with this. Um, uh, you, know, uh, you know, I was going to read something, but I'm not going to read it. Uh, yeah, let's not read it. I'll read it later. Um, he, here's, here's what I want to start with, the redemption communities, because it's, it's a lot. If you guys can actually turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to read it in a second, but I want to start with this, just make this statement. Um, you need to understand that, that redemption communities, as you walk into a redemption community, um, we're going to get there, but we're never going to start there. And what I mean by that is some of us come into a community expecting these deep, longing relationships, but, but you've just met someone for the first time, and you want what you've had with your friends for years. So let me read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 for you, and, and hopefully this, this will explain. So if we were to ask the question, um, who are these people in Acts 2? What does this community look like? How is it playing itself out? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we get a picture of what this community looks like. Here it is. Um, when one of you has a grievance against uh, one another, does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels. How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. 
Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to brother against brother, and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourself wrong and defraud even your own brother. Why would I read this? This is a random text to read, right? Okay? But we get a glimpse into, into this community, and here's what we know that's happening in this church community. There's friction. There's so much friction, they're talking about suing one another. So there's a lot of fighting going on with this community, and, and here's why I say this. You, you need to understand your propensity when it comes to community, your knee-jerk reaction is always going to be homogenization and isolation. If you cannot find people that are like you, then you would rather be alone. It's always going to go there. That as iron sharpens iron, sparks begin to fly, and we don't like it. And so you push yourself back from the table and say, I'm not quite like this. And listen, we know this to be true. Like all of us have grown up, um, as we grew up, we had these things in common with people. And we made friends based on those common things. So for me, growing up, because of the, the, the home life that I had, I moved a lot. And as we moved a lot, all these spending time in uh, being homeless and going to different elementary schools, I knew one thing, there was a common denominator. I could pick up a basketball, walk on a basketball court, and find friends. So sports connected me with people. There was this common denominator that connected me with people. But when I don't have that, all of a sudden it was just weird. Now, I know this completely to be true because part of my upbringing, um, like I said, like a lot of you guys have heard my story before, just having drug addicts as parents, um, moving a lot, growing in low-income homes. Um, a big part of my life, all my best friends growing up were, were black and Hispanic. It's not, a, it's not a racist statement that just, uh, we grew up in low-income places. That's the truth of it. And so all my friends were black and Hispanic growing up, and I got to see a culture in the way that, that my family and white families didn't know or understand, right? So, so there's a couple things I learned. One, I learned how to say all the curse words in Spanish, which is really good to put on a resume, okay? So th there's a first thing. But the second thing, I know this, like when, when we couldn't pay the electric bill, when I would go to my friend Rafael's house and, and he couldn't pay the electric bill, his entire family is gathered into one bedroom with a space heater. Whether you like that person or not, you better learn to like them because you're going to be crammed in there or you're going to freeze to death. So, so here you are crammed in this little room. You better just like each other. And it's just different. The way that culture is different. And my first career job, my first official job, was an assistant youth pastor. Now, I had some other jobs. Uh, first very job was like Subway, right? And then I worked at Chuck E. Cheese. I was Chuck. I was the legitimate Chuck. Um, that's the truth, okay? And I worked at Blockbuster. But my first official job was, was being an assistant youth pastor and then eventually a youth pastor. Two kids in North Scottsdale. So, so my first career job is I'm trying to do life with these kids, trying to help these kids. And I grew up with my friends and I getting jobs to help pay the rent so we would be able to pay the rent so we would have somewhere to live. To now I'm trying to counsel a kid, and I'm not kidding, I don't mean to make fun of anyone in this room, but to, to counseling a kid because he's upset because he got a BMW instead of a Mercedes. Now this is, I don't know what to do with this, right? Like I'm not able to understand what do you, what, how, that is one difference. That is a socioeconomic difference between us and them. And you get yourself in a room with a bunch of people, there's going to be a lot more differences. There are moral differences. There are worldview differences. There are political differences. Some of sometimes you'll get in a room and some people will be Democrat. Like, what is that all about? Okay? So, so all of a sudden you find yourself in a room with people that you don't necessarily get along with. And this is so good for you. 
Because you're, you're, again, your propensity is going to want to be around people like you. And that's the worst thing for you. Like 20, 21, 20-somethings, they want to be, 20-something-year-old guys want to be in the room with 20-something-year-old guys. Well, 20-something-year-old guys want to be in the room with 20-something-year-old girls. But they, they want to be around people who are like them. Okay? But the problem is when you begin to remove people like Jim Ellis, Jim Moreland, David Maddox, gray-haired guys who've been there and done that, out of those conversations, you get 20-somethings who think they've found the answer to life. It's like, no, you moron. We've tried that before. So, so we all of a sudden, we have to understand that there's a diversity within community that we have to learn to love the friction because it's good for us. There's a guy in, in the, the community that we're in um, named Paul, and uh, he, he, uh, he's a phenomenal dude. And he's, him and I are not alike in a lot of ways. We can kind of talk sports because he loves sports, but he doesn't play it at all. So I prefer to play and rather than just know the stats like he does. But he knows it, so we can kind of talk a little bit. But he's a, he's a head guy. He, he's going to law at ASU. And there are times when I'm dealing with Paul, I'm like, bro, stop talking okay now paul can be unbelievably annoying at times don't worry i've told him this before so i'm not like hey guess what paul um okay but but here's the truth paul within our community has shaped the dna of our community more than anyone else like when paul's in that circle in that living room on friday nights he's doing something that uh, more than anything else um he, he's bringing something to the table that not a lot of us can bring and i don't just mean his head smarts like there are things that he says that probably no one else would have said because the, the, the background that he has, it's just different. And at times, hear me, it's annoying. But listen, it's good for you. It's so good for you. I, I, can, th- I can think of countless guys who've walked into our community who could easily have just pushed away from the table because of differences. And my prayer is that you would not be so quick to want to just be there the first Friday, Thursday, Tuesday night you, you get together. But you would understand that all these other relationships that you've built took time. It took time. And being around people who are not like you is just healthy. So, so there's the three avenues, right? I want to say something, too, about these avenues. Um, whether it be Wednesday night classes, Sunday morning, um, communities, whatever it is, here, here's a truth I know, and I don't mean to put a burden on you, but this is something that is just a reality. Um, if you want to really do something, you'll do it. So, so I don't mean to just pull every excuse away from you in that moment. Like maybe you're in here and you have like 15 kids. You're like the Johnsons and you like, you're, you're 15 kids. Or maybe you're sick all the time. You have a job where you're 90 hours. Those are the only excuses that we take that, that for you not to go to community. If there's any other thing less than that, you better be there. Um, so so I, I don't mean to say this, but the truth is you'll stay up till midnight to watch a midnight showing. <laughs> like, like, like you'll play hooky if from work if there's something else you want to do. Like you'll sacrifice income if you really want to do something. And so any excuse that you're laying out there, if you don't theologically, biblically feel convicted that it is important, you will never do it. It's just the truth. And my hope is that this morning I can lay that before you because you know what? All these things sound, sound really sexy. Like when we talk about redemption communities, you need to understand we're not just talking about like, it's not a Bible study because I, I feel like sometimes people come, yeah, like small groups, it's a Bible study. It's, it's not a Bible study. We'll study the Bible, but it's not a Bible study. This last Friday, uh, one of the people in our community is Melanie. She's moving to California and betraying us, and we had a going away party, okay? And, and we had this going away party. And you know what we did all Friday? We played board games. That's all we did. So though we want to do justice and mission, that's not all we do. Though we want to multiply as disciples, that's not all we do. Though we want to, to study, because there's some nights where we've literally taken an hour to study how to study the Bible. 
And there's sometimes where we didn't meet at all so we can go do a project. So all these things are intertwining within each other, and it's not this thing. This makes up a community to do these things, hear me, together. There are over 100 one another's in the New Testament that you'd hold each other, one another accountable, that you would love one another, that you would serve one another. Over and over and over, this is important, and it applies to us. So my challenge to you is that you would hear what I'm trying to say right now, and you would dive in. I'll close with this quote. Um, I was going to quote C.S. Lewis because it's kind of the cool thing to do, but instead I'm going to do this quote from Charles Spurgeon, the guy that I quoted uh, about a month ago when I spoke. Um, This is what it says. As I have already said, the church is faulty. But that is no excuse for your not joining it if you are of the Lord. No, nor need your own faults keep you back. For the church is not an institution for perfect people, but a sanctuary for sinners saved by grace, who though they are saved are still sinners and need all the help they can derive and sympathy and guidance from their fellow believers. The church is the nursery for God's weak children where they are nourished and grow strong. It is the fold for Christ's sheep, the home for Christ's family. This is it, man. Like God is doing something in his church and maybe you've experienced something different, but to dive in is the only choice. Like to just do it half-heartedly is is not doing it really. You're just here. So I'll challenge you to to moving forward. Let me say this two things as before I pray. Maybe I know because it's the time of year, you're here and you don't go to Redemption Arcadia. You're just here visiting because you're family. Um, And I would say this, I would read that Acts passage and I would say, how can I find a church that, that reflects those things? wherever you're going to go. And the second thing is, maybe you're here and you've never really bought in at all. You've just kind of been here. Someone's brought you before. Your, bu- your blood kind of boiled when I brought up the fact that the church is the best way to draw near to Jesus Christ. You don't want to really want to do it, but as you've heard me kind of talk, saying this is something I might want to be a part of. I want to learn more about Jesus. I want to accept Jesus. Or maybe you have accepted Jesus. You haven't bought in all the way. In two weeks on the 12th, we have this anniversary service. I would challenge you, because that, during that anniversary service, we're going, to be, we're going to be doing baptisms. I would challenge you to be baptized. So, so that's all. I told you, it's very practical. I don't have this fancy story in the end. I'm going to pray for us, and I hope that in the end, there's, there's going to be Eugene standing at the Connect Us in the back. There'll be some people up here that you would ask questions of how to join a community, maybe how to get involved in serving here on Sunday morning, because Darcy needs help on Sunday mornings to help greet at the door. What you doing at 11 a.m.? You're getting here at like 11.40. Get here 40 minutes earlier and greet some people. Yeah, I'm burdening you. Um, okay, so th- this truth. There's ways and avenues for you to serve and be a part of the church. I-, I pray that you would take advantage of them. Let me pray for you. Then Josh Prather is going to come up and lead us in a time of response. God, we thank you so much for who you are. We are, uh, we're grateful. We know that at, at your core, you're very relational and, um, and we tend to push away from that a little bit. We know that you have invited us in to be a part of your body and, and for us to reflect the Trinity. But, um, but God, we, we haven't done very well. And some of it is laziness, and we repent of that laziness. Some of it is that we've, we've put things in our life that have kept us too busy to do those things. I pray that we would be able to work out schedules and make wise decisions to do what is best for our spiritual health. God, I pray that as we, uh, we leave here, This morning, we move into our time of response. We would uh, have a strong desire. Jesus, the reason we want to do these things is because we want to know you more. 
Like, that's our goal. That's what we want. We desperately want to speak with you. We want to, want to read your word and want it to, to pop off the pages. We want to know you more. We know that you are a person, not just some deistic ideology out there. But God, we pray that in the moments that we think that, that we would remember that you are real. And to know you really, God, is in moments to be in community and be reminded of that. God, we love you. We thank you. You are so unbelievably good. In Jesus' name, amen.